Today's Old Testament reading will be found in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 7 through 9, and it'll be found on page 330 in the Pew Bible. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Today I'll be reading from the New Testament, Mark 4, 37-38, page 96 in the Pew Bible. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if you drown? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. amen. Good morning. morning. Happy Sabbath. Sabbath. Pathfinders, thank you so much. Can we just thank the Pathfinders for this awesome job they've done? It's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to watch uh, what young people are doing and how well they can do it when they commit themselves to God and to that activity. Amen. My name is Pastor Icky. I don't know if I've met any of you before. It is a pleasure to be here this morning. My first name is Icky, spelled I-K-I, full name, full and complete. Don't be nervous to say hi to me later. That's my name. Uh, spell the same forward as it is backwards. Everyone say Icky, one, two, three. Icky. Good morning. Good morning. Um, this wonderful morning, I have the, the pleasure of being with you here and sharing the word um, on the story of a man who, if you and I were to look at his life and didn't mention his name, we wouldn't think him to be a prophet. We would actually see his doubt and the pain that he had gone through at this moment as possibly someone who would be sitting in our pews today, who may be saying, I don't understand how this all is supposed to work out. I don't know how my finances are going to make sense. I I don't know how my relationship is going to turn out. I'm filled with some doubt, and, and I've had some mountaintop experiences, but right now, I just can't see God very clearly. Today, we're going to speak of the story of a man named Elijah. So I invite you to go to the book of 1 Kings. Would you go there now? When you get to the book of 1 Kings, go ahead and just say, hey, man. Chapter 19, 1 Kings, chapter 19. Do you mind if I move down a little bit? As you may have heard, I'm, I, I work with young adults in the collegiate age. Uh, I, I have a tough time standing very still. If you get nauseous from motion sickness, be careful. Close your eyes this morning and just listen to the sermon. <clears throat> Otherwise, you can watch. I, I tend to move a lot. I get a little itchy. Have we gotten there, First Kings? Okay, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's pray really quick. Pray with me, guys. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your word that is enriching and empowering. And as we pause, Lord, here at this moment to reflect upon your history with us, your interactions with us, May we experience you fully this morning, that we would leave this place full of hope and vigor. 
I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Pathfinders. So I heard today was your big day to do the stuff, and it was a privilege of mine to come and speak during your Sabbath. I hope that I do you proud, uh, because I know how important this day is, and, and you have led so wonderfully this morning. Pathfinders, as leaders of our church, amen? amen. As leaders of our church, you lead today, not tomorrow, today. And in the function of a leader, you will face some things, Pathfinders. You will face those great days where everything is going just right. But as life continues, you will also face the days where you doubt and where there's pain and when there's problems. And it seems that often the time, those are more plentiful than the good days. And so we visit my man Elijah and his story. Because I think it is his wrestling and his struggle that will encourage us and give us hope and, and fill our lives. So here we are in the book of 1 Kings. Chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of theirs. Elijah was afraid. And he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might what? Die. Elijah says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under that bush and fell asleep. At once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head were some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he laid back down. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, he ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. The word of the Lord came to him and said this, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is Elijah, the prophet of God. And oftentimes when we think about prophets and biblical characters, we think of people with mountainous faith, with, with a great strength, who, who, who has this consistent mountain-high, mountaintop experience with God. But, but as we look into Elijah's life and we take a snippet out, we notice something. What is Elijah, what's happening to Elijah's life? What's happening with him? He's, it's falling apart. He's doubting. He's wrestling. He's got issues. Elijah looks like one of us. Elijah looks just like you and I. That's, uh, that's awesome. Um, I, I want to look at the context of this story really quick. Uh, so at the beginning, Ahab tells Jezebel something. Who is Ahab? Ahab is the king. He is the king, right? Okay, so he's telling Jezebel. Who is Jezebel? Jezebel. 
his wife, right? Ahab is the king of the nation. This is the top man. This is, you can't get any higher than Ahab. Okay, and he's telling Jezebel some stuff. What is Ahab telling Jezebel about? An event that just took place on a mountain. What is he telling her about? Mount Carmel. Everybody remember that? Mount Carmel sounds like Mount Caramel. Mm. Right. They were on Mount Carmel. 850 prophets, Baal, Asherah, they were there, and they were standing in a position in which they were going to battle with Elijah. Check this out. Elijah, by himself, one man, stood against 850 prophets of Baal and of Asherah. How scary was that moment? And, and, and they get to talking on that mountaintop, and, and it becomes one of those manly man fights. My God is bigger than your God. No, no, no. Our God is bigger than your God. You ever get in one of those battles? Anyone ever get in one of those battles about whose father is bigger than whose father? My dad's bigger than your dad. Right? I never played that. Why? Because my dad is like this big. So when you go, my dad's bigger than your dad. Yeah, he is. He is. Right? They get into this mountaintop experience and they start battling. My, my God is bigger than your God. No, no, no. My God is bigger than your God. And so they say, okay, let's prove this. Let's take it to the test. Right? And so they build these altars and, and the, the Baal and Asherah's prophets are walking around and they're cutting themselves and they're praying. No answer. Dead still. No fire from heaven. No light. Nothing. And these guys keep going. And Elijah begins to taunt them a little bit like, oh, maybe your God's on vacation. He's not listening. He's not listening. And Elijah, at his turn, gets down. And now he realizes how serious the situation is. Like, man, God, you really do need to answer because if you don't, there's 850 of them versus me. No, no sooner as he begins this prayer, fire from heaven, fire from heaven comes down and consumes the altar the wood, the water poured on it, the rocks, nothing was left but a hole in the ground. Have you ever had one of those mountaintop experiences? Have any of you ever prayed and God sent a fire from heaven and licked up everything before? If you ever had one of those experiences, do you think you would ever doubt again? I mean, if I prayed right now, Lord, send some fire down, and the fire came and wiped out the first six rows up here, I would never doubt God again. Amen? You would think that a mountaintop experience like this would, would keep him on a spiritual high forever, right? And we say that sometimes. Oh, only God, if you could only prove yourself somehow to me. If you, if you could just make this happen in my life. I, if you could just f fix all these things, I promise. You know, and Elijah gets this massive fire, just licks everything up. Mountaintop experience. So Ahab tells Jezebel this, this, this situation. Now, Elijah stands strong against 850 men. That's pretty tough. Elijah stands tall against the king. That's pretty tough. But when Jezebel, when Jezebel heard about what Elijah did, she says, may the gods do with me ever so severely if I did not do with you what you have done to my prophets. And then Elijah was scared. Elijah faces 850 prophets. Want to fight? Let's fight. We fight. 
no problem. Elijah faces the king. King, you've got nothing. And the king says, okay. And then Jezebel, the girl, gets mad. And Elijah is frightened. Who is this Jezebel? Who, what kind of girl is she that when she's scared... Elijah the prophet who faces 850 big prophets and, and, and the king is frightened. I could imagine. I don't know if you know any girls like that. You know any girls like that? I, I'd imagine Jezebel was probably a lot like my sister. <laughs> or my mom. I come from a, a Tongan background. Anyone ever met Tongans before? Have you ever met a Tongan? I'm a Tongan. I'm Polynesian. Um, in, in, our, in our culture, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of a matriarch-type system. Women uh, hold, a, a strong, uh, a ho- hold a strong position in our culture. So in our household growing up, um, it, I don't know what it's like in your household. Maybe it's, maybe it's different these days, which I'm pretty sure it is. But in our household, what mom says goes, right? And mom doesn't say it more than twice. She doesn't warn you on the third time. It's just a destruction and havoc of life. So when mom says, get up, no, mom, mom, get up, no, uh, lights start flickering in the house, oxygen leaves the room, right? This is my sister, my sister's like this, it's really, my sister's a really strong, strong uh, girl. I remember once uh, in, in eighth grade, I, um, I came into uh, to, to school after the summertime, and everyone always has cool stories to tell in the summertime. Everyone has these big, exciting stories. They tell, we went to Hawaii, and oh, we went, we went, we went and saw Mount Rushmore. We went to, and you know, my family was very poor, so we didn't go anywhere, right? Uh, the only place we went was in our imaginations. Um, and so we, we stayed home, and, and, and my dad was a gardener, so we always just thought we did. All summer long, we worked, we worked, we worked. And this fall, I told everyone, I, I came in, and I had to tell them something that was better than what I always told them every summer. So I said, uh, this summer, I became a boxer. And the kids looked at me and they said, a boxer? I said, yeah, I, I, I was a fighter this summer. I traveled around boxing people. Now, in eighth grade, I, I was really kind of short and I was a really wide kid, really heavy set kid. You know? And so it was obvious I hadn't been exercising over the summertime. But, but to them, they said, you were a boxer? And I said, yeah, I was a boxer. I boxed in the summertime. And so the boys all got in the bathroom and they said, okay, well, today we're going to box. I said, I, I retired. <laughs> they weren't happy with that answer. Right? So they said, no, 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 we're going to box. Like, You're going to box. And so they got everyone in the, in the bathroom locker room, and I didn't know what to do. I'd never boxed in my life. I'd never I'd even thought about punching anyone, you know? And, and so all these kids got in there, and I, and I got frightened, and I looked around for the smallest person I could fight. You, I'll fight you. And, and they said, no, 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 no. Icky, you're a professional. You need to fight someone like... Norvell. It's like in the movies, the crowd splits. <laughs> this eighth grade boy comes out, he's half man, half boy, all muscle. <laughs> Sweating for no reason, you know. He's probably been to jail 17 times already. He looks at me and he says, you and me. And I thought to myself, man, I should just run right now. Now, we didn't have boxing gloves, so they said, wrap these, wrap these paper towels around your hands. I'm thinking, paper towels, what's that going to do but catch my own blood? Wrap my hands up. 
And I'm thinking, okay, this is what we're going to do. Right before they say, go, I'll punch him and I'll run. I'll run as fast as I can. And so I wrap my hands and, and they said, go. And I turn around and... I woke up 20 minutes later on the ground. Did I get him? Did I get him? Everybody's in class except my best friend. He said, no, bro. You're on the ground. And you got a little nick under your eye. I was like, what? What happened? I said, you're not a boxer is what happened. I come out of the bathroom, right? I'm walking back to class, and my sister catches me at the door. She says, hey. I said, hi. She says, what are you doing not in class? I said, what are you doing not in class? She says, don't worry about me. What are you not doing in class? I said, I was in the bathroom. She says, okay, go to class. And as I begin to watch, she says, hey, wait. Yeah? She says, what's that under your eye? It's, I, nothing. What is it? I ran into the door. She said, did you get into a fight? And I said, no, yeah. She said, what happened? I, well, well, I told them I was boxing. You don't box, I know, but I had to tell them something. And I told them I was boxing, so they wanted me to box. And you know Norvell, the half man, half maybe. He was like, he punched me in my face. And this, she said, really? She said, wait right here. Sister disappears. No more than five minutes passes. The gym doors open. And I see the silhouette of Norvell. And I see him walking in with his head down. And he's walking in, I see his shoulders doing this. And as he gets closer, I recognize Norvell is crying. <laughs> you told your sister I punched you? <laughs> I said, I, I cannot confirm or deny that. It may be true. And he said, she came after me, man. She came after me. He got real close, and he was just weeping so scared of my sister. And there we were, two big boys holding each other in the middle of the crowd. You know, I think about Jezebel, I think about this, right? I think about the strong woman. What, what, kind of, what kind of girl, woman, strength is she that, that no matter what the prophets do or the king does, it's, it's Jezebel, right? The girl, when she gets mad, now, now Elijah's scared and he goes running. He is on his way. He's taken off and, and he's going into hiding. He just had this awesome Mont Carmel experience where God throws his firebolt down, lights everything up, and still... Right after this great mountaintop experience, he's frightened. He goes running. He leaves his, his servant in Beersheba. And he goes another day's journey in. And when he gets to that day, he lays down. He says, God, I just want to die. I'm done. I'm tired. You ever felt like that before church? giving up, right? You wake up in the morning and you just want to throw that cover back over your head. Lord, the children are still here in my house. <laughs> Kids, you may, oh, my parents. You stop and you look into your finances and the color is not black like it should be. The, the struggle of the occupation or the loss of the job, the relationship that you're in doesn't seem to be working out and, and it doesn't look like anyone is coming to your rescue and you feel like that day, I just want to quit. I'm done. Elijah is in this place. He's tired. He feels alone. 
No one understands me. I just want to die, God. This illness is killing my loved one. This economy is wrecking my household. My life can't be put back together again. Just, just let me die. I find that hopeful. Because Elijah is expressing something that I feel sometimes. Some days I feel like, man, God, I'm just tired. I don't want to be, you know, and, and people, as a pastor, people always think you're happy. Congregation, I want to tell you something because I'm not your pastor, so it won't hurt me any. <laughs> we are not always happy people. Your pastor, he gets some bad days. Somebody say amen. amen. I get some bad days. People always, you know, pastor, you just don't understand how I feel. You're a pastor. What does that mean? Well, you don't experience emotions like we do. You're so close to Jesus, nothing ever happens. People think we wake up singing, hallelujah, how can I save the world today, right? They think we go through this in our mind, right? And, and they don't think we have any bad days. And some days we just wake up and say, God, I just, I can't handle today. And so Elijah screams this out and it makes sense to me. It, it brings hope into my life because, because I see some things in Elijah's life that, that if we put into context, and it's three things, and I'm going to shoot through it really quick because I don't want to keep us here forever, but, but three things that we're going to quickly go through here that will help our leadership and, and keep us sustained, give us a, a good like pace so that we don't burn out or we don't fall off, Okay. First one is this, uh, Elijah felt like he had, there was absolutely no hope to his situation. He felt like there was no reconciliation, there was no way out of this big hole. And so, and so this breaks him and he's lost his glasses of hope. Taking our temporal glasses that limit us to the immediate situation in our life is what we're called to do in this story. Elijah has forgotten about that awesome Carmel experience. All he's focusing on is this very moment. This very moment he feels in trouble. He's forgotten all about what God has just done for his life. And so he can't see what God is going to do in his life. All he sees is this moment. And as Christians, sometimes that's all we see. We must take off our temporal glasses that limit us to the immediate situation in our life. Somebody say amen. The very real moment of the here and now. But what we can't see, being so close to the reality of our immediate now, is the reality of the before and the after the now. We're quick to forget how God has led us in the befores of the now, and how he is wanting to lead us past to the afters of the now. When we put on the scope of God's glasses, it moves us back so that we see a bigger picture of what God is doing in our life. And it creates hope back into our situations. Um, book of Mark, chapter 4, verse 35. Book of Mark, chapter 4, verse 35, in case you want to follow me. I could be lying to you, so you might want to check up on me here. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, this being Jesus... Let us go to the other side. What does Jesus say? All right, we're going to say it again until we chant it. What did Jesus say? Let's go to the other side, Jesus says, okay? Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, disciples and Jesus, just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. 
A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke up and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So here's the picture. Okay, Jesus gets in a boat. He's about to leave the crowd after preaching all day and feeding them. He says, let's go to the other side. The disciple says, okay. They get in a boat and they begin to move to the other side. Now, a furious squall, ferocious squall comes in. It begins to pick up in the Sea of Galilee. Squalls move very fast. They're not normal storms that take a while to build. They move in very quickly. And as it comes in, the storm has broken over the bow of the ship. The ship is about to sink. And as the ship is going down, everyone has got a pail, pailing out water every way they can go. They're trying to save their lives because this moment is a dire moment for them. Finally, somebody says, one of the disciples says, Hey, hey, where is Jesus? And so, I don't know. He's got a pail in the back. No, he doesn't. No, he does not have a pail. I know there's, there's 12 of us up here. Where is Jesus? What does scripture say Jesus was? Sleeping. That is a sound sleeper when you can sleep in a boat through a storm, right? They come downstairs. They come to the stern. Imagine Peter moving up to Jesus, and you just see Jesus sleeping. All God, all man, just tuckered out from a long day. And he's had to be tired because there's a massive storm squall happening and he's sleeping in the stern of the boat, right? He's just, uh, uh, you're healed. Uh, you can see, uh, right? And he's just sleeping, sleeping. Peter comes up to him. And Peter says, Jesus, 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 don't you understand or care that we are about to die? Can't you see the, the situation? Don't you understand how, how, how this is horrible? We're about to die. Do you not even care? This is how the disciple wakes Jesus up. This is also why I realized I could never be God. Because if I were God, there would be no way anyone could wake me up like that without me doing some miraculous thing to them, right? If they... Icky, 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 hey, 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 you're a chicken, right? <laughs> Who's next? Right? If, if I was God, the way you would wake me up, I don't care how bad the storm is, you Icky, oh, great Icky, <laughs> right? Whenever you see it fit to wake up, we're about to die, no problem, no problem. You own resurrection, it's okay, you just do what you, right? That's how they would wake me up. Jesus gets woken up, you know, in the midst of this storm, and, and these disciples say, don't you even care? We are about to die. This immediate situation says that we're going to die. Jesus gets up, and he rebukes, but Scripture doesn't say he rebukes his disciples, right? He, he, this is the kind of God we serve, that even in our doubt, in our fright, and in our wrestling, God isn't looking out to rebuke us. He's looking to hold us close. And so, so, so this storm struggles, and he rebukes, but he dares not rebuke his disciples. Jesus steps out to the bow and rebukes what? The storm. God is so in tune with us that in our fright and in our fear and in our problems, he doesn't look to wrestle and rebuke us to the ground. He looks to speak into the storms of our life. They missed his point at the beginning when he said, let us go to the other side. It was a promise Jesus gave them long before the storm came along. And if they had seen this picture, 
And they stepped back, and they realized that he said that they're going to the other side. When they hit the immediacy of that storm in the now, they would know, even in that storm, that there will be a past coming in which he takes them to the other side. One is hope. Even in our troubled times, God, I, I'm having some problems. I don't like school. My teacher's making me read. Who likes to read? Mathematics? Ugh. There's hope. Number one, there's hope. Church, go ahead and just exclaim, there's hope. There's hope. Number two. Number two. Something else Elijah was dealing with in his life. Elijah was dealing with the fact that in his self, he believed no one understood him. He believed that in his situation, he was all alone. He replied in verse 10, still in 1 Kings, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. And Elijah says this, I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. Elijah felt all alone. Nobody understands me or my struggles. Nobody understands my plight in life. Everyone is looking to kill me. Everyone is looking to judge me. Everyone will never understand what I'm going through. And I pray this doesn't fall deaf in the ears of our church. As some of us sit here today thinking, if I could only receive some help and guidance for this particular thing, but nobody under will understand. Nobody deals with the things that I deal with or with the pains that I deal with. And so we sit in our Christianity, in a church full of people, alone and discouraged because we think no one else will ever understand the things that I'm going through. If we are to be the church of God and if you are the leaders of this church, you must pronounce to people that they are not alone. That they do not have to struggle or deal with problems and sin alone. That what they are going through, we as a church can hold up, embrace, and help grow from. So we don't like to be real in church because we're afraid people will call us out. So we come in and we dress really nicely. We put perfume on so we smell good. We know how to carry our Bibles at the exact 45 degree angle we know the right words we know the magic words we have magic words when someone says happy sabbath happy sabbath when someone says how are you i'm blessed and highly favored really are you i don't know <laughs> right we dare not let it out we dare not share really with someone we just we look for the quick answers and and we catch that not from church this is not from the body of christ this is not how christ interacted with people we catch that from the world and and we bring that that attitude from the world into our church so that if someone dares wants to share the first thing we want to do is tell somebody else 
And then we tell somebody else. And, and so church becomes an unsafe place, much like the world. But here in this community, if we were to be Jesus people, we are to, called to come together and to share and to learn and to grow and to uplift in the name of Jesus. What a greater place to do it, too, in the, in the Adventist church. Somebody say amen. amen. Because we do stuff that other people don't do, like Pathfinders, right? That's solely our thing. And that's really cool. Um, we, we have things that nobody else knows about. Vespers. Anybody else know Vespers but Adventist people? You ever try to invite somebody to a Vespers and explain it to them, right? Hey, uh, you know, uh, you want to come to a Vespers tonight? Hey, well, what? You know, Vespers. And we don't even know how to explain it, right? What's a Vespers? Well, uh, uh, we get, you know, I don't, I don't know. Adventist, we know Vespers. How about uh, the Adventist tostada? The number one Adventist food in the world. Let's call it what? Haystacks, right? You try, you try saying that in the secular community. Nobody knows what you're talking about. I tried that at CPK last week. We went and they have this, uh, this tostada pizza. And I said, can I have the haystack pizza? And the lady said, excuse me, what are you talking about? I said, you know, the haystack pizza, it's got like the lettuce and the tomatoes. It's got little tortillas. She's like, sir, that's a tostada pizza. I said, I know. <laughs> but I'm Adventist, <laughs> right? We do things that are at our own pace, and it's cool. Um, it, it's, it's a good thing, but that shouldn't create exclusivity from everyone else. It should create a sense of, 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 of draw. It should be our network. It should be uh, the, the thing that someone can come in here and say, wow, you, you would get me. You would understand me. You would know what I'm going through. I, I've, I've been through some trauma and abuse, and, a, and I've gone through some sinful issues, and, and I don't know how to get rid of it, but, but here I feel safe that this community is not like the world in that they would embrace me and help me grow. He missed it. He felt all alone. Proverbs 12:15 says, The way of the fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to the advice. Here, in the guidance of many, victory depends on all of us. Victory depends on all of us. This church, the bride of Jesus, will not make it unless we all make it together. Okay, last point. Last point. I told them if I was getting long, they just need to make, open the doors and make sure the food smell comes in. And if it wafts in here, I'll go straight to the benediction. I didn't smell it, so I'm going to continue on to point three. That's all right. It'll make you, it'll make you appreciate the food. Somebody say amen. All right, all right, all right. Veggie food. Amen. <laughs> point number one. Hope. To take off your glasses of the immediate crises, put on the glasses of God, step back and watch how he's worked and recognize that he will continue to work in your life. Point number two, you are not alone. Turn to the person next to you right now and just say, you're not alone. Turn the other way and say, you're not alone. It's funny how in a, in a survey taken recently, um, one of the, one of the, 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 the biggest things that uh, adults feel in uh, the North American uh, society, America, is that they, 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 they recorded that they felt alone. In the midst of all the people, we are still an island to ourselves, isolated. Let's not be isolated anymore. Number three, 
Elijah felt like he had no purpose. Like he was no different from anyone else. Like he, there wasn't anything special about him. I don't know if you ever feel that way. You, you feel lost in the crowd. You feel like you don't really have anything to give or offer. Uh, maybe in church you feel like, I, I can't sing like the, the praise singers do. I, I can't preach a sermon like the pastor. I can't pray all beautifully. So my job is to come and fill the back row seat up. Maybe say an amen if I get a chance. If the pot looks good, I'll grab some food on my way out. Right? And so what we do is we create this church where, where 80, 85, 90% of the people just come and, and my job is to be here, Pastor. Your job is to bring us here. We become passive in our church situation. When in actuality, Jesus has called all of us to the ministry of evangelism. Evangelism means the good news. In the Greek, it's the messenger who brings the good news. Right? So, so telling people about Jesus is good news. It's something you want to do. It's, it's, that, it's that thing that itches in your life, in your heart, where you say, wow, I've really got to share this with somebody. Have you ever had that experience where you've, you've gone or done something or seen something, and you're like, man, everyone needs to experience this. And you get itchy to do it. You, you want to do it. My wife loves Disneyland. Yeah. The rest of us are like, no, right? <laughs> Sentimental people, oh, I love this. It's the happiest place on earth. That's what my wife says. It's the happiest place on earth. And I just think in my head, no, it's not. <laughs> it's making me the poorest man on earth, <laughs> right? And she gets excited, man. See, she'll go there once a week for a year. Just, oh, man, uh, we got to go to, no. Yes. yes. Right? And she does it. When we get around people, you know, she'll, she'll slightly bring it up. Hmm, that's cool. Have you guys been to Southern California? Okay. Have you tried going to Disneyland? Her eyes light up. And she, she, has, she drives this Prius, right? And on her bumper sticker around it, she's got the, the Disneyland logos around it. All the little princes on the, on the antenna. She's got this Mickey Mouse head on it. So when I'm driving it, you know, could you imagine me, this big talking guy in a Prius? First of all, in a Prius. Second of all, I got all this Disney gear all over the, you know, the car, and people are pulling up expecting to see a, a little lady, and they see me. Like, oh, yeah, I like Disneyland, so what? <laughs> but when you experience something great, you want to share it. This, this is the Angalion. This is the, the good news. This is what you want to... So, so sometimes we get lost in church and say, I don't have a purpose, you know? The pastor preaches, the organist plays, uh, you know, the pathfinders do their thing. My job is to come, maybe catch a blessing, and think about the Patriots and the Giants. Ha. You and I have purpose. We were called into this body of Christ. And as a part of the body of Christ, every part has purpose. It was made with intention by the hands of the designer of the universe so that every piece makes sense. You have purpose. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says this, For do you not know that you are God's masterpiece? You are a masterpiece created to do good things. If you haven't figured out how to do things good or to do good things, you haven't figured out that you are a masterpiece. Take a real quick moment, turn to the person next to you and say, you're a masterpiece. Turn the other way and say, you're a masterpiece. 
You're smiling for no reason right now. Look at you. Look at each other. Uh, uh, I am a masterpiece, aren't I? You are a masterpiece. Sometimes we wait to, okay, well, well, God, I'm not your full masterpiece until I get my, my doctoral degree. I'm not a full masterpiece until I get a job. I'm not a full masterpiece until I get past high school, college, graduate school, until I have kids. I've got kids. Now, wait, wait until I get the big house. Okay, God, when I make enough money, I'll be the masterpiece who'll do good works. But until then, I just, you know, let me be mediocre. And God says, you are not mediocre. You were created for a reason. You have purpose even at this very moment. Whether you're in elementary, whether you have no job, whether your relationships and problems right now, you are created to be in good works this very moment. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than everyone else. There's nothing special about me. There's no purpose you have in store for my life. I can't do any better. I'm not as good looking. I don't speak as well. I don't read as well. I'm not as smart. My job doesn't pay enough money. My relationship isn't right right now, God. Wait until all these things are in place. And God says, I don't care about things. All I want is you. All I want is you. You don't have to wait, leaders of the church, until tomorrow. You don't have to wait until you become the president of the conference, the president of a company, the president of the United States. You don't have to wait until you're married, until you have kids, until they finally move out, right? You and I have purpose now. And until we realize that we are God's masterpiece, we won't realize we have purpose. Pathfinders, you got purpose. Even when your Pathfinder gear is not on, you still have purpose. Even when you are on your Facebook, you still have purpose. Somebody say amen. Some of you are like, I, I don't even know what Facebook is, Pastor. It's all right. Even when you're just with your friends and there's no, there's no adult supervision, you still have purpose. And you can't wait till later, because the calling is now. Last story, and I'll let you go. Um, I have been a pastor for a few years now, and um, I have a problem. I'm going to open up now, since we've been talking about being together. I've got to share one of my sins. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Jesus is still working on my life. I have a problem because I'm a Southern Californian, so... I have a problem because I don't drive like a Christian. Somebody say amen. Um, I may or may not be the best driver in the world. I'm not an angry driver. I'm a Californian driver. And if you're not a Californian driver, please don't get in my lane. I drive fast and I drive hard. Probably because I'm always late to things and that may have to do with my ethnicity, I don't know. But I'm always late and so I'm always driving fast. And uh, I was up in San Francisco, I was going to a, a conference that I was speaking at and um, in order to get into the place I needed to go, I had to go over the Bay Area Bridge. Bay Area Bridge likes traffic, I do not. So we quarreled on this particular day. 
I pulled up and I'm about to get over the barrier bridge and as I'm pulling up to the toll, it's a toll, you gotta pay to get in. And so, and because it's a toll, everyone stops and, and they have all these toll, uh, toll gates and they look like grocery lines. You ever been in a grocery store and you see the lines? How they, well, I'm the master of getting around lines. Even in a grocery store, I can tell you which line is gonna go first. That's how you know you shop too much, <laughs> right? I could tell. And I pull into this line and I see that, that the, these two lines to my, my right and the one line I was in were the only three open this day. And, and these two had just clicked and moved. And so this line was just a little bit longer. But that was a signal to me that this line will soon open up and we will go. And so I pull into that lane and, and, and I'm looking at my clock and I said, man, I'm right on time, which means I'm late. So I need to go. And I'm sitting there. And as I'm sitting there, I pull up with this lady next to me and she, she looks at me and I look at her. And I said, I'm going to get there. And so I'm, I'm waiting for it, waiting for it, and I'm waiting for it. And I'm waiting for it. And I'm waiting for it. It seemed like forever passed, and my line didn't move. I'm looking at the time, saying, man, two minutes have passed. Why am I still here? The lady next to me begins to crawl forward, and she looks at me. <laughs> she moves forward, and I said, what is going on? And I see her lane approaching closer and closer to that front gate. And then I peek my head out. What's happening up there? And there's the man at the very front. Guess what he's doing? He's having a conversation with the man in the toll booth. I think to myself, what are you doing? This is not a coffee shop. This is a freeway. Pay him and move. They go on about the conversation. And then he pays him and he moves. And I say, yes. Now we're going to go. Now we're going to go. We pull up, and I'm two cars from the front, and, and we get going, and we pull up, and, and I'm waiting, and 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 waiting. Cars next to me are going, and I'm thinking, what is, look out, and the toll booth is talking to the lady in the car. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? A couple minutes pass, she goes, next one pulls up, and now I've got the exact change in my hands. Because I'm thinking, I've got a few things to say to this man. Throw the money in, I'm going to yell at him, and I'm going to keep driving. Don't judge me, I'm, Jesus is still saving me. <laughs> Couple minutes pass, and the guy goes, and I pull up, and I got my money, and I'm rolling my window down, I got the exact change, and I was just about to just slap it down and tell him how horrible of a job he's doing, and I pull up, put the window down, slap the change up there, and I look in, and there he was, this very elderly, little old Indian man. But he's listening to hip-hop music. <laughs> that just begs you to ask a question, right? Like, little old Indian man, he's got hip-hop playing and he's just kind of dancing around in there. <laughs> and I, I so want to drive, but something innately in me won't let me go. And so I said, hey, and he said, hey. <laughs> What are you doing? I said, what? <laughs> what are you doing? You're in here dancing? And he says, oh yeah, man, I'm getting my jiggy on. <laughs> you imagine this old little Indian man saying that, right? Oh, I'm getting my jiggy on, you know? And he just, he's not even moving with the rhythm of the music, and it's, it's throwing me off. I'm, I'm starting to get into a daze, you know? And, and so I, I cracked this huge smile on my face, and, and we start talking. <laughs> <laughs> we had to have this long conversation. 
And um, I found out he was, a, he was a, an astro-engineer, he worked in labs, and, you know, and then and now he, he's a doctor, and he, he's working here, and this, all this interesting stuff. And, you know, I'm about to drive off. I said, oh, man, this was great talking to you. You know, he says, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> and I said, I said, oh, uh, I was just about to drive off, but the curiosity was killing me. Why in the world, if you had such an awesome job and you have such a great title, are you working in a toll booth right now, right? And he says, so I said, hey, man, well, how, how did you get here? He says, well, you know, I was working in the lab. He says, but it was very lonely. He says, I didn't feel there, be cold there. He says, and here, I get to come out, and I get to make your day. <sighs> what do you do? Oh. <laughs> I'm a dancer. <laughs> here I was rushing off to a conference, right? Because I believe that, that I finally find a place where I'm, I'm speaking at places and I'm making a difference in people's lives. And I had been running to that goal for so long, I didn't realize that this man had figured it out. You don't need to be a doctor to get paid a lot. You don't, your life doesn't need to be all together. He took, he took all of that, he exchanged it in for a little toll booth on a random urban freeway, just so he could bless people's lives. You and I, we have purpose. And you ain't got to wait till tomorrow to start living your purpose today. Amen. God bless you. Bow your heads with me. And in this solemn moment, may you hear God's voice speak to you in your storms, in your disbelief, in your loss of words, and in your mediocrity say to you, what are you doing here? Bless us, Father, as we move from this place, and I pray that you fill us with your purpose. Fill us with your hope. And remind us that we never stand alone. But the victory is ours as we stand together, united as the body of Christ, letting you our head Lead us always. Bless all the leaders here, the Pathfinder leaders here. Bless all the young adults here. Bless the veterans of this church here. Let us stand together claiming your victory. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.